Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sampudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sampudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sampudasa Udangdamang Sanghang Masami When the great uh, learning places of our practice is, is uh, being with other people, the kind of ways in which we can be with other people, sometimes you know, living quite close, sometimes just seeing, sometimes just remembering being getting emails or letters from people, being affected by other people, feeling yourself to be part of some group which you don't really know everybody in, belonging to a kind of a very extended community, like a Sangha, which kind of reaches out all over the planet, really. Any one of your strange, estranged cousins can drop in at any time. So you've got this kind of sense of you're in something quite quite big and boundless. And this kind of uh, uh, uncomfortable realisation, this is the way the Buddha wanted it to be. You know, one of the ways in which he's very keen to keep the practice, his, his kind of awakening experience in the past um, available because he was out of compassion. So several things he did, he obviously gave a lot of teachings, but one thing he, he seemed very resolved upon was to establish a kind of communities, both uh, renunciant communities, but also the, what they call the fourfold assembly, which includes the laymen, the laywomen, lay disciples, and the monks and the nuns, and he said he wouldn't pass away until he got this properly established. And so only then, when he got it properly established, he would feel he'd done his work. You know, and then he could pass away, and things would go on, things would be continued because you have some sort of wide sense that that continually feeds back, regulates, irritates, enjoys, comforts, inspires exasperates itself. <laughs> There's always an edge. <laughs> Whereas that, so it always something that always kind of tends to pull you out of, of your own views, your own grasping, your own holding, your own sense of this is my way and this is the way it's going to be and I see it like this. Or even I've got it all figured out, you know, because there's always somebody who sees it another way and you can't quite understand what they're saying or they can't understand what you're saying or you know so you just to leave it like that in this kind of unresolved state you know and even in in um kind of look at this kind of like even in one monastery you get the same kind of experience so this uh, this this range i think we have 25 people in the community is 
14 different nationalities, 10 different native tongues. So a certain amount of confusion. Thankfully, there's only two sexes. That's plenty to be getting on with. <laughs> there's a certain amount of confusion. It's inevitable. Because <laughs> even if you kind of, you know, most non- non-native English speakers generally stumble along with a, quite a good degree of it, but obviously the nuances and the humour and the accents sometimes make it difficult. You know, you know the difference between Ajahn Krunico and Sister Tania, you know, myself, quite different accents. Yeah. So just even getting the basic link language across is enough to keep your mind going, what? <laughs> So it's, uh, and then all the, obviously all the kind of cultural attitudes we have, you know, because you've got people from four continents, Thai, Malaysian, American, Hungarian, you know. <laughs> so it's a sort of wonderful kind of Tower of Babel. <laughs> Which means whatever angle you've got, you can be sure that somebody else has got a completely different angle on it. <laughs> That's one thing you can be confident of. <laughs> and whoever you think you are, somebody else sees it sees you differently. Whatever you think you're doing, for certain, somebody else will have a different understanding of what you're doing or how you're coming across or whatever. And of course, you know, I think what can one reaction can happen to that is you just try desperately hard to get to know everybody and make it so everybody agrees and understands and this is quite noble in a way Lily's Petrae is kind of you know if you're doing it from the right intent you know just for the sake of um, out of sympathy and compassion but also I notice in myself there could be a trying that's really just wanting to get rid of the confusion you know, get things so as I can get it in my head as to what's happening, what's going on. And uh, it never quite works. And the trying actually seems to make that which is mysterious and unknown, you know, which is kind of open-ended state of, uh-huh. And if I try to understand it, I just get this painful, confused feeling, frustrated, confused feeling. So I'll go in these cycles of this kind of building up, and it's kind of real, kind of painfully confused. Then my mind, my emotions can get all kinds of things around that. Yeah, and I just bear with it and begin to identify, kind of name what's going on in myself. You know, this is the experience of confusion. Just actually be present with that. You know, to not try to even get rid of it or get away from it or clear it up, just to actually bear presence on a kind of emotional level with that sense of there's always something you never quite got, you're never quite certain about, you can't quite figure. It's always a little bit more, 
it's always a kind of a, an open end with no no concluding remark, no final statement, no you know account, no summary, no that's it, you know. It's always like that, and then the grasping mind kind of yeah. you get this kind of emotional. I get this emotional state of of, of some frustration. And, okay, well that that's the bit, that's the gift. <laughs> that, that's the message. That's what comes out of this experience. You know, mm-hmm. I just bear bear presence with that. Feel it in the body. Feel it in the heart. Feel the kind of struggling with that and just get a sense of as I kind of empathize with that something just gets very um, gentle and there's a kind of humility comes out of that I don't just don't know but all I can do is just bear presence I can just keep that intent and then bring forth what seems to be the truest, most um, honouring qualities. Just let that come out. So a lot of a lot of, of uh, love without grasping, which is a sense of really willing to be here in this dualistic experience, this self and other experience. Really willing to be there to listen into it, to, to share with it, to participate in it without actually ever understanding it, getting something out of it, finding an end to it, finding, you know, ever s- concluding it. This to me is what uh, I find through the, my own circuitous roots pathways to be the thing that I most seek in 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 community life <clears throat> all it can bring bring me to is a kind of devotion purity of intent rather than you know some creating some institution which produces this that or the other uh, everything is completely worked out and sorted out and, you know, kind of nicely dead, as it were. This is actually the same for everybody. You know, I remember I was pretty confused when I was living with one person, <laughs> trying to figure out <laughs> what she wanted or what she, <laughs> how to communicate. Living with one person was, you know, that was confusing enough. So you only got, even when you only got one, and you're living right, you know, right on top of each other, as it were. Still, you don't quite meet. You know, there's bits where you meet, and there's bits where you don't meet. You know, and you don't like those bits where you don't meet, and you can and you get sort of disappointed with each other about the not meeting, and then you start to feel disappointed with yourself, or wondering what's going on, or what's gone wrong or what's not happening or then complaining and then blaming and then, oh well, it must have been the wrong one, you know, get another one. <laughs> or you're stuck with this thing, <laughs> this other person for so many years and eventually something in you kind of, you know, 
again closes. You don't want to be open with that unknowable, ungraspable, the, the thing that you can't ever really get. I think this is actually, you know, is it, is it, isn't it always like that? I don't know, that's what it's always been like for me. Not that there are no meeting places and times when things just really click and work and it's happy and there's real sharing, but no, it's not, there's not that. There is connection and there's disconnection, you know. And And the two of those signs help to really to understand the, the grasping. Uh, the, the, you know, when, it's, when you feel connected, you want more of it. You know, friendships, generally I have friendships, enjoy. Then actually, there's never really, there's never an end, actually. I mean, I don't find that unpleasant. It's pleasant, but there's always the, la- the next thing you could say or the you know, the nice thing you could do tomorrow or the next day or whatever. That's, that's, it's like that, isn't it? You can never actually, I mean, when, you know, Ajahnatiko was leaving, it's the other, it's, you know, he's been leaving for a lot, particularly for the last week he's been leaving, he's been leaving for quite a while. And just realised there was never actually going to be a, a, a time you could actually feel, right, we've said all we could ever needed to say, you know, there's always going to be a bit more you could say, a bit more you can express and a bit more feeling or ideas or jokes or whatever you could come up with because it was kind of, you know, pleasant. It wasn't always pleasant. We didn't always get on every day, but when it was pleasant, it was very pleasant. When it's pleasant, it's like, it's never, it never, it never stops, does it? You know, I mean, you never get to the end of it. It falls away, but you never feel you've actually kind of managed to say or express or whatever, you know, the whole of it. You get this feeling of regret. So even certainly, you know, I I think I was saying to to Gentania the other day how, you know, my parents died when I was relatively, relatively young. My father died when I was 29. So because I left home well, definitely left home when I was about 18 or 19, but I was kind of, you know, paying less and less attention to home life from the age of 13 onwards, you know, as you do when you, well, I did, it was adolescent, you kind of come home, do your homework, go out with your mates, come back late at night, crash out, get up in the morning, you know, yeah, mum, hello, grab a cup of tea, rush off, this kind of thing. So these beings, you know, are actually speak to them that much when you do it's just functional where you're going out when you're back when I get back kind of thing <laughs> can I borrow this <laughs> and so on and then you kind of leave leave home and then there you go when 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 died you go wow I wonder who he was you know last time we you know Last time we really engaged was an argument or something of that nature. You know. And so I was saying, you know, it's a shame that during one's life when you didn't really have much of an adult conversation with your 
your father? And she said, yeah, well, that's what it's like even when they're alive. <laughs> she hasn't had, she hasn't really had a completed conversations with her father. He's still, she's still alive. Can you ever get there? Can you ever say it? You know, can you ever actually, you know, really feel you've penetrated the otherness? Or isn't it always a kind of uh, a strange chimera, you know, strange sense in which you think you got it, but then they've got it's gone again. This is a great experience if you bear presence with it rather than get frustrated with it. For me, it just kind of blows my head out, blows my thinking out, and uh, and also blows out the sense of there's an end or a finality or a conclusion or a some kind of final consummation that, that happens and that's it, you know. And that's a really useful experience because when you you know you go there in your in your heart and you can really see that that kind of craving to conclude or to know and it's a, it's a obviously it's like every other kind of desire you know. uh, but to, it's it's a, it's a much um, more you know it's not like desire for a, eating something or consuming something but even the desire to to know something or belong to something where you know where that, that feeling of otherness isn't there anymore. Even that you know, is a problem. It's like the habit of the mind, isn't it? So when we practice, most of us have probably got some shadowy sense of well, eventually things will be another way than this, won't they? That's what we're practicing for, so that sooner or later things will be another way than this, won't they? <laughs> you know, if we tried hard enough, we'd get to some state where it'd be, well, I don't know, but it wouldn't be like this, would it? It'd be kind of wonderful or or something, you know, be other than this. So there's this kind of leaning of the mind, and then you, you, you the kind of tightening of trying to get to some thing, some where, some state, some kind of quietude, some knowledge, some something, you know. And you do, you get to these places, and then, ah, and then it kind of, Dissolves again. This is the you know, they call it the becoming instinct. The mind is hooked on it. So then the the other is not just the, it's not necessarily always a person, but this sense of an alternative to this experience. Yeah, is, is the is the continual carrot on the stick in front of the donkey. You know, and the mind just keeps pushing towards it. A dualist, dualistic experience that we, our consciousness, consciousness provides us with this. 
So this is a me, which is this, and then there's something else. And most of us are really looking for the this, this something else, either in another person or in some loftier realm or some physical place or whatever. And in all that, that, <laughs> that of course, is the, is the mirage, isn't it? We forget to look at the other end of the, of the stick as to, well, who do you think this is then? <laughs> Who's this self who's doing, you know, rather than trying to name and find the other, why don't we try and name and find the self? You know, the subject. And, you know, you see there's, what that's about. Because what we, at least what I find, is that what can be found is uh, a push, an intention, a reaching, uh, a movement, a series of movements, a considering, uh, a resonating, mood faculties, attention shifts, energies, sensations, good, beautiful, squalid, you know, coarse, physical, sublime, fine, that's what I find, it's kind of cascade, can be found. Yeah. Isn't it like that? Mm-hmm. And the same kind of pattern prevails once I once the attention goes that way. Well I can kind of get through this stuff or quiet and settle this stuff down, then <laughs> so, you know, one doesn't want the, the manifest, relative, dualistic, impermanent, changing experience. You want to get through all that to <laughs> And so you can see this kind of habit. And uh, one of the things that we begin to learn, particularly with in community life, relationship life, is, wait a minute, there's somewhere else, there's some other way of, of, of being with this experience, you know, which can just be what they call, Buddha called anukampati, or anukampan, which is kind of empathy. And it's an interesting uh, word, because it literally means, anu means together with, or along with, or in the presence of, and company means to kind of shimmer or, shem- or tremble, to tremble in the presence of. Yeah. And this is, in fact, I think what uh, Jeannie, uh, Anagarika Jeannie, just when she asked the Desna, she recited this phrase. Anukampi mong pajang, which means, roughly speaking, the last bit means teach the Dhamma out of this sense of anukampati, out of a feeling of kind of trembling along with, you know, the suffering or the wishes or the resonances or the inquiries of other beings. You just, and this was the, this was the, the what the um, Brahma Sahambati, you know, said to the Buddha when the Buddha was awakened. He said, Buddha thought, well, 
you know, nobody's going to get this, why bother? And then, but the Brahma Sampada is this kind of voice that reminds the Buddha, you know, well, you, actually, you're, you're still in this realm. You know, you are, you're still in this realm to a degree. So there's still a body, there's still a planet, there's still movements, there's still the, pro, the, the thought faculty and the emotional faculty is still there. You, you, gotta, you can't walk out on this. This is, this is the manifestation realm. And if you don't actually bring the Dhamma into the manifestation realm, you know, it, what, you know, what's the point of it all? What's the point of awakening? What's the point of it? You know, how far does it go? So this became the Buddha's continual refrain. He'd say, I teach the Dhamma out of anukampati, out of a sense of real, you know, compassion is one way of putting it, empathy, sympathy is another way of putting it. It's really as being present with the trembling, shaking, manifestation experience. Being present with that. Bearing presence with that, with the manifestation experience as it is. And in that we're not actually trying to, you know, get into it, solve it, sort it out. The Buddha didn't do that, you know. Sometimes he'd give teachings, people wouldn't get the point. What he was talking about, uh, his communities were fairly often in conflict. He didn't create harmonious communities. He, he generated communities, but they're often in conflict, and so forth. You know, but uh, he did, uh, you know, provide enough sense of this tremendous willingness to be present that something is transmitted just by that. Because isn't that really, you know, for all of us, when we come to that, just bearing presence with ourselves, isn't it just that one, one point, you might say, that actually both embraces all of manifestation and at the same time is not in it? You know, it's not apart from it and it's not in it. It's the place where manifestation stops, or it doesn't come this far. Hmm. Manifestation loses its claws. It doesn't pull in. We know it goes this far, no further. Nothing more can be said, felt, expressed, done at this point. This is the place of stopping. And that place of stopping does not contradict manifestations. It doesn't negate them, it doesn't, you know, reject them, but it says they go this far and no further. And only when you really bear with manifestations, both internal and external, do you, do you fully know that? Hmm. You know, the emptiness of it, which means that all manifestations have this kind of ungraspable, ephemeral, mirage-like quality that stings and and rejoices and is gone like the wind. Isn't it like that? Mm. Yes. You know, you get direct with it, isn't it like that? A lot of the time it doesn't seem that way because we're not direct with it, we're actually conceiving it. 
and shying away from it or kind of you know not really attending to it trying to so that our very efforts to to sort of push it in some or another create another level of manifestations called um, construing or conceiving which means there's the experience and then there's the stuff we lay on it our imaginings our wishes our interpretations and this kind of secondary level you know keeps regenerating and, and sort of solidifying you can carry this stuff around solid little lumps of it you know and so it happens in when we meditate isn't it you know some little hardened up bit of memory or perception of oneself or others kind of, kind of opens up and there it is all full of life and you know you fondle with it fondle it for 10 minutes or so and then put it away again get another bit out and <laughs> you know it's kind of you feel the kind of sourness of ill will or the fondling of fine feeling and then you, you kind of close it down and go, you know and then a lot of the time we're trying to part of us is trying to stop it or, or you know but then you really kind of just bearing presence with, with all, even that struggle and there's something compassionate that arises compassionate and dispassionate This is the way that it is, isn't it? This is the way that feelings, thoughts, memories, sensations, this is the way they are. They do this, don't they? They struggle. They reach out. They run. They kind of try and make things. They try and destroy things. They never quite do it. They never arrive anywhere. And you kind of contemplate them, you know, just just as that. Bear, and you don't contemplate just a sense of kind of thinking them, but really uh, this place of resonating with or feeling with. Because you can see that sometimes even the sense of witnessing becomes a becomes another place where we can solidify. As well, here I am watching all this stuff go by and so forth. I've done that, and I've noticed rather frustratingly that I'm doing this, witnessing all this stuff. Here you go, it still goes on. You know, I've witnessed you. You're supposed to go, you're supposed to be impermanent. Because <laughs> even though I've witnessed it, I haven't really, you know, surrendered to it, given up to it opened up to it, I've kind of stayed looked through my window at this thing, looked through my telescope at this thing and witnessed it okay, I've witnessed you now go away (laughs) not next I want another movie please (laughs) so there's still some sense with that that emotionally one, one hasn't really been present with it where you have to be feel what it's like, you know, the inconclusive, and give up to that.
certainly when I personally when I do I actually penetrate or begin to experience the roots of that they're kind of wanting and uh, it gets very simple because it undoes itself You know, wanting is always for something that, that isn't. You know, I don't want what I've got. <laughs> you know, I can enjoy what I've got, I don't want it though. So once we're actually just kind of being present with wanting, there isn't a something else to want. There's just this. So that the very mood of wanting, which is always the movement towards something else, when you're just present with wanting, without any sense there'll ever been into it, there isn't something, you know, one isn't construing something else. So the whole thing starts to deconstruct. This is, you know, the, the incredible precision of that teaching of, of being with dukkha, with the un- attained, the, the irresolute, the unfinished, just bearing presence with it and really taking that in. And it's not always that acutely agonizing, it's just sometimes the nagging uncertainty, the doubt, the have I done the right thing, the what do other people think, the is this in accordance with, you know, some rule or tradition or how will this work out in the future? These sorts of things. And you know, eventually there's nothing you can do except be bare presence with the wanting. So if the community you know, monastic community is a very interesting place for that because people come and go and uh, so there's that feeling of oh, it's just getting on well with him or her and then they're gone and then new people come you've got to kind of break the ice and gradually get to know people and feel comfortable and know how you can be with and so forth so it's always this kind of slightly edgy bit and then there's people going up and down and their own stuff people are here and gone and on retreat and sick and you never quite know who's going to turn up and who isn't <laughs> so <laughs> something actually kind of stops trying to figure it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but I <laughs> yeah, I know what the how the, the intent is you yeah. know And something stops, doesn't it? In that stopping, it's not that there's an absence of receptivity, absence of any kind of potential, the potential is there, the potency is there, the vitality is there, the sensitivity is there. But the conceiving and the construing and the grasping and the pushing and the trying stops.
So I'm going to keep it, leave it there for this evening. Trying to cultivate brevity, which is probably a fatal attempt. And just to because rec- we recognise even in this in this sad, sorry, dumber ending age, even in this wheel-turning assembly, there are people who want to go to bed and sleep at night, and I'm one of them. <laughs>